Welcome to another edition of the Cognitive Bias Podcast. I'm your host, David Dylan Thomas, and today we're going to talk about the impact bias. And it's kind of a hopeful bias in its own weird way. What it basically says is that we are very bad at predicting how bad or good we'll feel after a really bad or really good event happens. Um, so the, uh, the example um, they often give is this job interview example. So they did an experiment where they um, had a bunch of people go through a job interview, but before the interview, they asked them, look, how bad will you feel if you don't get this job, right? Uh, like, you know, scale of one to 10 or whatever. How bad will you feel? And then how bad will you feel 10 minutes after finding out that you didn't get this job, right? So they wrote down their predictions, go through the job interview process. And then, sure enough, they, you know, send word to everybody who um, was in the experiment that they didn't get the job. And then said, okay, we'll write down how you feel. Like, you just found out you didn't get the job. How do you feel? And they wrote down their, how they felt. Um, And then, 10 minutes later, they asked, okay, how do you feel now? And people were fairly good at predicting how bad they'd feel, like, in that moment that they found out they didn't get the job, right? Pretty bad. But they were terrible at predicting how bad they'd feel 10 minutes later. Like just 10 minutes later, they way over predicted how bad they'd feel. They felt much better 10 minutes later than they thought they would. Um, and there's been different versions of this for things like whether or not you get tenure and if you break up with your boyfriend or girlfriend or, or all sorts of other sort of events that you would expect to feel terrible about, but not long after, you actually are fine. Um, and part of this is um, we're not very good at predicting what an event is going to be like you know, if we haven't experienced it before. Um, part of it is that we often anchor events to how we feel right now. So there's a way I believe I'm going to feel, you know, based on how I feel right now about getting a job or not getting a job or losing my girlfriend or not, you know, losing my boyfriend um, versus what it's actually like. It's very difficult to, um, you know, predict that based on how we feel at the moment. Um, and another thing that uh, influences this is something called focalism. And it's this idea that we forget that when a future event happens, all of the other stuff in our life is still going to be going on. Um, Like we're still going to have all these other things like, you know, driving our car or paying our bills or whatever, like just life stuff that's going to be happening at the same time as this, you know, life event. And we're going to, you know, it's going to affect how we feel and it's going to kind of, you know, even out how we feel because we're going to think about other stuff. So there's a great line from this movie, The Opposite of Sex, that kind of sums it up. And this guy has just had this terrible heartbreak um, and the narrator is kind of describing what's going on. And uh, she says, yeah, but, you know, uh, other stuff happens, too. You see someone smell a pillow or an old T-shirt, you're a basket case. I could have showed you the other stuff he did besides mooning around. He ate like a pig, for one. Like, he licked his plate. I'm not kidding you. He flossed, he clipped his toenails, he paid some bills. Does that make your heart break? His boyfriend or whatever leaves and he pays the cable bill? So you see that, like, you know, the rest of life happens as well. And as a result, you know, we start to feel better faster than we expect. Um, uh, another thing that this impacts is uh, how we think about declines in health. So there was a study uh, Halpern and Arnold did in 2008 um, where they looked at how people feel about the potential of getting uh, some kind of disability. And the quote from that is, uh, people without a given disability rate their expected quality of life significantly lower than those actually living with that disability, right? So the actual lived experience of having a disability is better than people think 
people who think like, oh, how bad would it be to have that disability, right? Um, we predict far worse than, than the outcome actually is. And this may have something to do with hedonic adaptation, which we may have you know, talked about before, which is this idea that no matter how good or bad things get, your base level of happiness rarely changes. So people think when you're wealthy, right, you're obviously everything's going to be fine, but that's just not the case. If you um, start out a sad bastard and you get rich, you're just going to be a rich sad bastard after a few months. If you start out a really generally happy person and you lose you know, the ability to walk, about three or so months later, you'll still be a generally happy person who just isn't able to walk. Um, and uh, they've done, you know, literally experiments where they looked at people who won the lottery or people who um, were um, lost the, the the ability to use their legs, and they found that this was generally the case that the baseline happiness that they had beforehand generally returned within about three months. Um, so that may also like be something that we underestimate, you know, when it comes to impact bias. And this is pretty huge implications for life health decisions when we're going to follow this course of treatment versus that course of treatment, how bad we think this will be or how bad we think that outcome will be. Um, it can have huge implications for, for how we deal with end-of-life issues, how we deal with treatment issues. Um, uh, it's something to, to, to watch out for. Um, in my own life, I um, think my most you know visceral experience of this recently has been you know when Trump won, right? So to give you some context here, I am a black man. My wife is an Indian woman. Our son is mixed race. And so, and, and, and as an Indian woman, she does look Middle Eastern to someone who, you know, would not bother to check any further, right? Someone bigoted would sort of like jump to that conclusion in the current climate. And I bring this up because to me, in the months running up to the election, the notion of a Trump administration was downright horrifying. If you were to ask me, how would you feel if Trump won? It would be this litany of apocalyptic, oh my god, we have to move, our lives are now in danger, like my wife's going to end up in an internment camp, I'm going to end up in jail because he's going to bring back stop and frisk, because he literally said he loves stop and frisk, right? So uh, my emotions about that, my prediction of my emotions around that would be like, oh, this is the end of the world. And to be fair, when Trump won, I I could not get to sleep that night. However, in the months that followed, you know... Part of it was just life went on. I had a life to live. I still had to take out the garbage. I still had to, you know, (laughs) do the laundry like life went on. Uh, But also part of it was a couple things happened that I didn't predict, right? One was that people rose up, right? The second that the travel ban was attempted to be um, instituted, um, people showed up at the airport and not just people with protest signs, people with law degrees, right? Like people were getting it done. Um, And these things kept getting blocked. And the other thing I didn't predict was that there would not be a unified you know, Republican front, that the Republicans would be infighting, and as a result, any little whim wouldn't just immediately go through and become law. So that also made me feel better. So I, you know, even three months later, right, or even a couple months later, um, after it happened, I wasn't over the moon about it, right? But I wasn't like, oh, I am like just this little depressive shell of a man just cowering in the corner, shaking. No, my emotions were much more complicated than that. Um, So I think this is... uh, ranked as maybe one of the more positive biases, like it's maybe it's a good thing that, um, or a more positive outcome that we're, we're bad at predicting just how bad we'll feel about a thing, but it's also something we need to keep in mind too. Um, you know, I had in my youth, um, suicidal ideations, right? Like I attempted, um, to commit suicide, um, on a couple occasions. And those were, I don't know, as you would rank them, how, committed I was to that, but I didn't like take pills or anything, but I did try some stuff. And, 
you know, without going too far into it, those were all around this idea of, oh, I'm never going to find somebody. I'm never going to be with someone. And I ended up, you know, that was very, very different outcome actually ended up, you know, with the best person to love of my life. But you couldn't convince me of that when I was in my late teens, early twenties, right? Like I was just so focused on this thing. So that notion, and you've heard this campaign before, like that it gets better. Like that's a, that's something that we, because of impact bias, just don't believe. We think it's only going to get worse. Or we think that depending on this one thing or that one thing, are we're going to be miserable. And we're right for a short time, but in the long term, we're very bad at predicting how we're going to feel. And that's literally life-threatening, right? For some people, and for me at the time, that's literally life-threatening. So uh, I guess that's why I consider this such a hopeful bias, is if you can get past it, right, uh, the outcomes are so much better. Um, so that is a uh, much deeper than I expected to go, but <laughs> um, but very real uh, bias uh, for this week. Um, so thank you so much for listening. And um, I will see you on the Cognitive Bias Podcast next time. My name is David Dylan Thomas. Thanks for listening. 